0: This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. There's something to be said for having deep and historic roots to one region, one gardening and natural history home. I have an admiration for gardeners who've been born and raised in the historic home territories of their families before them, who've been working their own gardens for 20, 40, even 60 years. I have yet to live and work in the same garden for more than seven years. And while I do envy these long-tending one-spot gardeners, I also see the benefits of having gardened in a wide variety of places, cultures, and environments. I was born and raised at 8,000 feet in Colorado, but I grew up regularly visiting extended family and myself living in many different locations across the country. So while I celebrate those who've been able to steward one place for life, I've come to appreciate the kind of wide-angle education my family gave me on the differing look and feel of places and on the universal instincts you can start to see repeated in any location. This week on Cultivating Place, I'm joined by landscape designer Catherine Webster. She too has had a life offering a wide-angle landscape and garden education, but one that is born of her family's generation-long relationship to property in the Thousand Islands region of Canada, and her own lifelong practice of looking closely at and learning from the intersection between landscape and the built environment this carefully developed understanding lit a fire in her to shape landscapes. Catherine, also known as Kate, joins us today via Skype from her offices in the Bay Area. Welcome, Kate. Thank you very much for this opportunity today. I'm delighted to be here. So I I always really like to start with a little bit of early background and those early influences, no matter how old you were, if you were five or you were 25, that as I was saying in the introduction, lit the fire for you of of interest in and passion for land and gardens. What were those early influences for you, Kate?
1: Well, I would say my whole life has been like one big tapestry, one carpet, where there's various threads that are coming together to create one overall experience or one carpet. And As a a young girl, I grew up outside all the time. I lived in the New York suburbs of New Jersey and lived on a large property with lots of large trees, dogwoods, magnolias, and um, our property backed up to a huge, um, huge rolling fields and a big white house. So when I wasn't outdoors, I was in the backseat of my family's Vista Cruiser station wagon. I had um, three older brothers and I was carted around all over New Jersey going to their various sporting events. So I had the opportunity to look out the back seat of the car, of the window, and look at northern New Jersey, the wonderful skyline of New York, and sort of see the um, industrial revolution and landscape unfold before me. Mm. Later on, uh, when I was a teenager, a a young teenager, I moved to Switzerland, to Zurich, Switzerland, and there I went to the American International School and I was uh, I would ride my bike to school every every day through the pristine hills. It was gorgeous. And then I think you've already touched upon this in your introduction, but my greatest single family influence has been Mashleau Point, our family property in the Thousand Islands in Ontario, Canada. Mm. And this has been in my family since 1893 and um this is the true testament that my family are stewards of the land so it's a summer residence you can't go there in winter time the um st lawrence at least our section of st lawrence is frozen over you can only get there by boat and it's at the very end of a larger island um, on hill island in the canadian waters and the thing that is, all, that is uh, the same or, or the thread through all these landscapes is that they are muscular and strong and they're green and majestic. And I've spent many, many times in places um, that are larger, primal and wild landscapes, hmm. but not manicured ones. So that's, that really answers sort
0: of my initial journey. I love the image of our all of our life's experiences coming together to create this sort of oriental carpet, magic carpet of of what our life looks like, especially, you know, kind of on that ground level of of the landscapes and and gardens that that we walk in and on that sort of overview of the wide angle that I was referring to, and then that one grounding point in this you know historic family home and its muscularity and its seasonality, uh, I think is so mm, formative for a, a life and a, and a vision what point in your life did you know that you were going to be a plant person not just an observer and appreciator but someone who tended and shaped landscapes with that background behind you Kate I would
1: say that I I, if you don't mind I'd like to back up just a little bit before the plant part is that is that okay oh god yeah (laughs) okay good Um, so before I knew exactly that I was going to be a plant person or a nature lover, there was this key formal training that I had at Colby college in Waterville, Maine. I was an American studies major and I minored in sculpture and it was there, um, in college where my framework of structured thinking began and my interest in art. So, um, while I was there in my senior year, I wrote an honors thesis on the way that the Col- Colby campus was planned. And it was along this process where I discovered um, going through archives and, and various um, documents, historic documents, that I found that I was more interested in the relationship that the buildings had to the ground. Mm-hmm. So that was, I mean, I thought initially I'd be more about the architecture and Thomas Jefferson's principles with the, with the various Ionic and Doric columns and what those meant, but it really wasn't about that. It was why were certain buildings located on the land in certain ways, why were certain buildings nestled into the ground, scooped into the grating, and why were birch trees around a certain cluster of dormitories? So it was that that was the time when the light bulb went off yeah. inside my brain. Yeah. I was like, Oh wow, this is really interesting. But yeah. I didn't know what the what the profession was at that time. Mm. I knew things like architecture, I knew art, I knew fine arts. So it took me a little while and it took me A little while longer to get there so after um, after college so on my journey I'm just gonna sort of create this thread for you Mm -hmm. after college I went to New York City and worked for a a well-known sculptor named Jackie Windsor her her um, studio was located on Orchard Street in New York City and I worked as one of her apprentices um, in her studio making concrete maquettes for a show that she was about to have in Los Angeles at the Margot Levin Gallery. And I really didn't know what was before me, but it was an an experience sort of along the way. And so each experience, in my mind, adds up to create sort of the greater whole, or as you mentioned, the oriental carpet. Mm -hmm. So we created these maquettes. But I knew that I was not there yet. I hadn't gotten to the, to the point where I was having that light bulb go off again. So I said, okay, I'm not gonna continue working in this vein specifically. I'm going to veer off into working for an architecture firm and see if I can sort of chip away at this a little more. So while I was working for the architecture firm in Gramercy Park, um, in the Gramercy Park area of New York City, close to Union Square, that was a time in 1988 when the farmer's markets and sort of adaptive reuse was happening in some of these urban open spaces. Mm-hmm. And um, it was exciting to me. Cheeses were brought in, milk, flowers, meats. Um, it was like a whole new life was brought into these urban spaces that were at the time somewhat bleak. Mm-hmm. And I said, wow, I really like this. This is exciting. The city is exciting during the day. We're meeting people from outside the city. It's commerce. um, And it just, it it was very lively to me. So I said, okay, I'm going to take classes at the New York Botanical Garden, figuring maybe I'll find my way towards something. (laughs) So um, on that path, I finally found it. I yeah. said, uh, I knew I'm here. I found it, and I took classes. I continued to take classes at the School of Visual Arts and at Parsons in learning how to draw, uh, continuing my sculpture background. So I decided to prepare my portfolio and um, apply to graduate schools in landscape architecture. So before I did that, I worked. Um, in the evenings, actually not working in the evenings, I actually, my, my social life in the evenings was, was going to the sculpture center near Hunter College and carving. Um, I really enjoyed that, and I found that I felt more comfortable in a studio with struggling artists um, talking about um, the various qualities of stone and fissures and things like that. So. I knew that my life was meant to be devoted to more of a creative pursuit. Mm-hmm. And before I went to the went to the graduate school of design at Harvard, which is where I got my master's degree in landscape architecture, I said, "Gosh, you know, I'm going to be in a studio for 3 years. I really should know what it's like to garden."
0: I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Today, we're speaking with landscape designer Kate Webster. Her life experiences, both personal and professional, have given her a sort of wide-angle education on what shaping a landscape can be. We'll be back to hear more after a break. Stay with us. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. We're back after a break to speak more with Bay Area landscape designer, Kate Webster, and to hear more about her life's education and her design ethos grounded in the land. Welcome back.
1: I've gardened at my family property in Canada and that really consists of raking, sweeping, hauling rocks, pulling weeds planting ferns, but I'd never really fully worked on a crew in a garden. So I decided to go work for the Central Park Conservancy. Mm. And I worked there for a summer and I worked um, on installing the Shakespeare Garden, which was a magnificent experience. There was a certain sort of freedom inside me where I was, I was enjoying and learning about Central Park in ways that most pedestrians didn't even know about central park and Mm -hmm. i I had new secrets about it Um, so we worked with a large crew and um, retilled all the soil and then we planted the various perennials and the design of bruce kelly now bruce kelly was the same individual who also designed um john lennon's memorial strawberry fields Mm -hmm. so he was a particularly highly regarded individual at that time Um, and was working for uh, he he did private projects for the um, for the conservancy and uh, he also did work outside uh, the city, but I was thrilled to do that. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about my physical strength, and most importantly, I'm able to go back to the space now that I'm older and I can take my daughter there. And there's a certain sense of accomplishment and. Um, history about it, that I sit in the garden with my daughter, Annabelle, when we visit New York, and it makes me feel so grounded. I can't, I I almost can't even describe the feeling. It's so powerful. Mm -hmm. So I'm really thrilled that I was able to do that. And then once I attended Harvard, um, from 1988 to 1991, um, I really felt like that was more of a survival experience (laughs) in (laughs) landscape architecture. And towards the end of it, um, the very last semester, I was ve- I felt like I was looking for something more beyond just the confined conversations that we were having around landscapes in our studios. And I ventured out and I, I signed up for um, an architectural seminar called the Case Study Houses of the 1950s. So in this and I had no idea really what it was going to be about, but I just knew that I wanted to, to study more and the relationship of the landscape to the building. This is something that hadn't really been, I felt hadn't been delved into enough uh, in my program. So we we each chose an architect to follow, and I chose Richard Neutra. And my project was about understanding the Singleton House um, in Los Angeles. So mm-hmm. we had to draw it meticulously. We had to diagram the various uh, spaces between indoors and outs, um, and uh, we also had to understand sort of the, the spine of the building, the relationship to the greater landscape. And in the situation with this house, it has a pool where part of the corner of the pool just so slightly arcs to points to the horizon line. And I've never seen a pool like that, even to this day. <laughs> I haven't I haven't designed a pool like that and I haven't seen a pool like that. But Richard Neutcher really had this sense of you know tying the indoor and the outdoor together using glass breaking down the boundaries between these walls and having extensions of columns and various architectural elements so once i had that experience and also besides just drawing it we had to build a model of the house so (laughs) that took me a little bit um it took me back to my sculpture skills Mm -hmm. so that was really fun so i actually got to build something three-dimensional and um build it out of balsa wood, and the school still has has the model I don't have it now, but it was really, I would say the beginning of my interest um, in in learning about outdoor living mm-hmm.
0: so that was that was that was crucial and it's interesting it it just never fails to um inspire me how our something inside of us knows where we want to go. And it kind of helps us kind of blindly grope our way there. But when you see your, you know, your journey from an overview, even in this, you know, this first part that you have described to us, this idea of you know your your early landscape rooting, and then your study of sculpture, and your clear awareness of how visually, what a visual learner you were, and then to have them kind of come together, and then you find this way to, um, like I see you building that balsa wood demonstration um, and display and it's sort of like working in the garden like once you actually get your hands in there you are you are learning about the relationship in such a different level and uh, that is that's really powerful to hear you describe it that way Um, and you know how many layers of both you as a person and you as a gardener and landscape designer are, are at play in that, in that journey, Kate, it is, um, it's really, it's kind of, it's very fun. It kind of gives me the tingles, I you know. Oh, well, thank
1: you. Yeah. Thank you. So it, it's funny, because everything is, it, 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 it sort of has organically grown, yeah. and it's been woven together. And I think coming, coming together, it's taken me a while to sort of fully realize how this has all come together. I mean, <laughs> even just thinking about, this interview, I felt like I realized certain things about myself that I hadn't realized. So I'm still realizing the yeah. threads. <laughs> the threads are still being
0: thread. Right, <laughs> <Threaded>. exactly. <laughs> it's it's not over till it's over, right? No, it's not <laughs> over. No. But and that that sort of, I don't know, the image of you recognizing the, the beauty and the symbolism and the power of that, just that slight arc on that corner of that pool, and then that image of you sitting with your daughter at the Shakespeare Garden, you know, it, it really illustrates this this importance of landscapes and the importance of gardens to us as human human beings, which
1: gardens are really important to our well-being, and yeah. I would say that that's very important to me. So understanding the case study houses, and opening up oneself through through the use of glass and breaking blurring down the boundaries mm. and making connections to the greater landscape or to mountains or to a vineyard or to a body of water this is what soothes our soul inside mm-hmm. and it's it soothes me and i and i find that when i go back to my my place in moshulu point it does just that it grounds me and there's something about my family property. It has this this granite rock spine that runs throughout the entire part of our property, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like the the it's it's the defining piece that everything is comes off of that, and all the relationships um, are are based on that. So I guess I would say that that granite
0: spine is with me. Yeah, and and does so in being able to recognize that granite spine as being the kind of defining element from which everything else flows at this historic place for you in Thousand Islands. Is that something that you are attuned to and look to when you approach new projects in your current uh, designing work?
1: Oh, most definitely. Yeah. I'm always looking for this this um, underlying element or contextual element natural element something that was there before it's something historical that grounds it yeah all my projects have this grounding it's almost like it's it's like a piece of sculpture or a rock you you're you're a rock you're a being and then you slowly carve away at it or maybe you add to it and that's what a landscape is is you're not completely obliterating something you're working with something and you're working augmenting it yes and that's the way I like to see my work is that we're augmenting and whether it's about for a family whether it's for a couple whether it's for a school um, it, it provides the same type of structural thinking
0: are you a gardener yourself in your your everyday life in your own home
1: I'm much more of a tinkerer and a thrill seeker (laughs) of the garden and the built environment. I know this sounds funny, (laughs) but, um, just to give you an idea of how I spend some of my free time, I'm always out searching on foot. I'm looking with my eyes, with my camera, I'm looking through a lens. And, um, as a young girl, I had this wonderful God, I have this wonderful Godmother, Sybil Groff, who, um, encouraged me as a young girl to look with my eyes Mm -hmm. and she took me on various trips to architecturally significant buildings places gardens and she trained me on how to look I'm so lucky that I was given this gift of looking I think it's 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 a it's a true um, it's a true thrill for me Unfortunately, when I go traveling with my husband and daughter, I do drive them nuts. <laughs> I'm actually taking a bit too many photos. When I walk around, it's it's like my lens is being revealed. Yeah. And from that looking and from that searching, it gives me the opportunity to get insight into things, into the essence of something. Yeah. So to, just to give you an example, you um, I love going to Hudson, New York. It's a chock, it's chock full of just a visual delight, architectural buildings, and it has a synergy of new and old together. And um, my friend John Tiffany used to walk me around and we would look at the paint peeling off of the old buildings, or we would see the grain on the wood and how it was so prominent. And so these types of things are things that actually Resonate with me and then they end up in some way shape or form. They end up in one of my projects Mm. So I use these sort of walking journeys um, visual Visual searches as as fodder for my design and inspiration. I would say that I don't know if you can call me an artistic nomad That's how I see myself rather than a gardener and I'm all I, I consider myself not only a steward of the land but a steward of the built environment. Mm -hmm. You know, the the built environment is just a huge laboratory (laughs) of finds and discoveries. Um, So I I love finding that. And I also love things that are are repurposed and with a new life. And I love bringing out the essence of things. So whatever the truth is of that piece, of that place, that's what I wanna celebrate and bring out.
0: And it's, it's interesting because um, even in having you answer this question, it gets to this common cultural notion of there is one definition of what it is to be a gardener, or there is you know one definition of what a garden is, or what a natural history lover, nature lover is, and you are clearly all of those things in your own distinct way. Uh, which is one of the things I just find so fun about these conversations is that incredible variety and that that visual acuity that you were describing, that you were taught to look by your godmother is so important and it's one of the things that I think garden visiting and garden appreciation and gardening can bring to us uh, especially in a larger conversation with people who might show us different ways of framing or different ways of looking and seeing and I think that's just a really important ethos to to incorporate into our own Kind of cultural literacy as as we move forward as as gardeners or garden lovers, nature lovers. As you were talking, you know I, I love this idea of the synergy of new and old and the way you you know kind of are constantly developing this internal visual library that you then bring to bear on your projects. Do, do you see? Um, some of these elements that might really stand out for you or stick with you, do you see them as, uh, you know, representing something bigger or deeper for you in terms of our cultural values and where they are right now? Ooh, that's a good question.
1: (laughs) I think what what I like doing from looking is I like seeing where we are now. Mm -hmm. And this idea of bringing the old with the new is not something that's actually new. It's been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. And actually, it's something that's very common in terms of uh, European architecture. When you see what's happening in other countries, um, like like in Spain or in England, architects are always bringing in old buildings and then bringing in new types of metal treatment, glass treatments so that you feel like things are lighter. But I would say that searching and creating the library goes back to my reference of the American Studies major. Mm. I love this idea of understanding our culture and who we are and where we're going. Right now, we're we're in a place where we actually have to be proactive. So you, reusing things, repurposing items, not casting things away, celebrating the moment, the beauty in something, something that's very important. Can you
0: give us an example, Kate, of a project you've worked on? It doesn't have to be recent, but just one that stands out for you of where you were able to integrate some of these elements that we're talking about more conceptually. And can you describe sort of some concrete ways that you, you incorporated some of these ideas?
1: I particularly very fond of working in the wine country. So in Northern California, I love the landscape up there. I love the setting, the greater setting of the larger landscape of the borrowed landscape. And I have two projects that I've completed up in St. Helena, which are actually started out as uh, they're wonderful before and afters. They're smaller second homes and they started out more as more uh, modest bungalow style homes and the landscapes as a result what we did is we really worked with framing the landscape in a certain way and this is something that ties in with the case study houses with Richard Neutra with what he did is creating edges boundaries architectural elements to make it so your eye really focuses on this key element this key landscape view or component to enjoy the beauty of the vines that your next door neighbor has or to watch the wonderful folds of the olive trees when the wind blows or to see the grasses in the way that they move but it's all in an environment where the edges have been treated and you're focusing on something specific so doesn't a site does not have to be large I think that's one of the things that I love to people to realize is that not all landscapes have to be big. Even though I grew up initially in bigger landscapes, I have learned to work in smaller ones. And I think that small spaces sometimes are actually more challenging. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have as much space to work with. And so you have to make an impact quickly, but by, uh, uh overhead pergolas, um, by adding trees along edges that have soft filtering, uh, textual quality we added uh, acacia cognata on one play on one p- property for instance and they had this wonderful weeping quality to them now you hear the sound acacia, and you all run you say oh my gosh that's an invasive, horrible tree but acacia cognata is not and the and the way that the branches fall it, cur- it evokes a feeling and landscapes do that landscapes are emotional they are personal And so when we design a space for a client, we really want to try to find that personal piece. So we are trying to work in ways for the the owner or for the client to tap into something that they don't even realize that they want themselves. And so when we find that we tap into that personal thing internally in their soul, then we know that we have done our job. Yeah.
0: So what we we've talked uh, about, you know, the Northeast and about Thousand Islands and about other places in the world, and you were in LA or or you were you know doing some some studying on the LA uh, environment. What got you to the Bay Area? I
1: was lucky enough to have a internship in the second year of my um, graduate studies at Harvard. Came out for the summer with my dear friend and roommate Heidi. And Heidi and I embarked upon a summer adventure. We lived on Telegraph Hill and we walked to work through the Filbert Street steps down to Levi Plaza. And the Filbert Street steps were just this plethora of of, of wonder to me. Tight um, little little pathways in between houses with Flora and fauna running about, uh, beautiful, beautiful parrots would be sitting on the top of telephone wires. Um, I had no idea that this existed in the city, <laughs> and San Francisco with the with the twinkling, um, twinkling waters of uh, of the of the bay and the topography. I was completely hooked. So after that summer experience, I was offered a job to come back and and work after graduation and i took it immediately (laughs) Um, and i came out um, to the bay area with two suitcases and two boxes of design books so it was very hard for me to leave the east coast where my family had been rooted for for just generations but i knew that i was looking for something new and as as the only girl in my family and the only one only child in my family that wasn't interested in wall street or numbers <laughs> i knew i had to pave a new way for myself mm. and in the bay area that is what i saw i saw that landscapes were happening my teachers that i had at the graduate school of design they were all coming from here all the interesting ideas in the field were coming from the bay area and i knew that i had to tap into that and to see what it was all about and i'm so lucky that i did I'm very happy here, and I met my husband here cleaning cleaning up Golden Gate Park. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> that is so great.
0: Yeah. So as you look back over your career, Kate, and, you know, you, you see some of these these changes and, and, as you say, this energy of ideas that was coming from the West and then, you know, the changes that you might have experienced over this past 20 years or so, you know what? What do you see as some of the bigger concepts that have evolved and taken shape in that time?
1: Hmm. Well, there's lots of different movements going on um, in landscape. I would say that the ones that are occupying my mind right now mm-hmm. um, are, I'd say, geared more towards sort of pro-science, um, and that's surprising to me because I'm I have very much an artistic sense about me, and science was not always my focus, but right now I can give you an example. So we are at a state of uh, global warming, and um, my property, actually in the Thousand Islands, has um, elevated water levels. And so this is not something that's just happening there, it's happening all over. And I feel that we really need to be proactive about about global warming, um, about water issues, um, about uh, replenishing groundwater issues. Uh, as a pr- practitioner, I need to be cautious, I need to be questioning, and I need to help guide the future. So that's w- that's one aspect of what I think is, is important. And then the other thing is that we have this drought. and. When the drought came up in California, everybody was like, oh, this is a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. But the way I saw it as the drought is here to stay. It may not be here right this minute, we got lots of water, but it will be coming back. And so I used it as a cornerstone in in my company to set a challenge for us. How can we design landscapes that look more than just rock gardens? So we've really worked hard with our projects to create plant palettes that that look lush, even though they're not. And then also it gives a wonderful sort of canvas for art, outdoor art, to become more at the forefront of a garden. So if you don't have as many plants, maybe you have a little bit more of an integration between art and circulation and moving between spaces. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's, there are opportunities, there's positives about it. I think we don't have to have so much waste. Um, but I do think that this is something that we will continue to sc- sort of keep working on and defining and I think it's it's not just about how to make it not look like a desert. I think there's a lot more ideas that we can bring to this drought discussion, or to drought design, or, or to arid design. So yeah. I think it needs. To, I think this needs to 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 come up a few more levels. Um, and then the last notion is just that we should all be stewards of the land.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. We all need to be conscious of what we're doing, what we're using, and
0: how we're living, and what our footprint is. Yeah, and I would say it's it's even it's. Um to even use the word drought is kind of a misdirection because it's our climate. It's not even that we had a terrible drought, which we did for five years. And you're right, it will circulate back again, uh, whether or not we had a good winter this year or not. Um, But it made us as Northern Californians, and or not even Northern Californians, all of California and the West, because we are such a Uh, a highlight of agriculture and growing in the whole world this spotlighted the whole world on our situation it made us aware that we we do live in a Mediterranean climate and we do have six months every year where we do not have water no matter if it's a good year or a bad year for precipitation and that that kind of you know Existential kick in the head that we need to live within our climate. I think is a great reminder, no matter where we live, and um, and I'm I'm really happy to see it at the forefront of our horticultural and environmental conversations in California. And hopefully, that is um, we will continue to imprint that on new gardeners, new residents, new um, designers as as we move forward. As you look forward now that you've looked back a little bit and, and you've given us a sense of where you are as um, a representative of your design generation. What what are your greatest hopes for this profession, Kate?
1: Oh, good question. Well, I, I really want to find a way that we can work together as a nation, as a profession, as mm-hmm. a community to help um, work together to combat this drought to work together on water issues. I think there's a lot of politicalization of things mm-hmm. and by creating, um, stronger communities together, I think we can, we, we can do this. So I feel like we need to, ha- we need to have action, but we also need to need to work together and we need to communicate together.
0: Yeah. And I, You know, just listening to you articulate those as passionate um, values and kind of action items in your life. I love the concept that landscape designers, landscape architects, gardeners, people in horticulture, that they are some of the leading voices in this unifying um, idea and, and cause and hope. Was there anything else that I didn't ask that you wanted to share and that we didn't get to, Kate?
1: There is one thing that I would like to mention my going back to this threaded carpet idea, sort of in the beginning is that, uh, my grandmother, uh, my, my dad's mother. So uh, she was an antique dealer and she, she was sort of a pioneer for me. She was a sole business proprietor and this was in the 1960s and she was a single mother raising two kids. So this was not something that was really the norm. But I had this strong personality who, you know, was a leader. She was having a business. She was interested in decorative arts. And so this this idea of the tapestry, she did sell rugs, by the way, as well. <laughs> um, so this sort of interconnected with my whole thread. As I'm growing and experiencing, it, I think I'm realizing that there's certain threads that are still being threaded. Yeah, And that's one of them that's still being threaded. The carpet is still being made.
0: Thank you very much for all of the work you do, and thank you for being a guest on Cultivating Place today, Kate. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you again. Kate Webster is the founder and CEO of Catherine Webster Landscape Design in California's San Francisco Bay Area. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. If you enjoy Cultivating Place and value these conversations about gardens and natural history, please subscribe to Cultivating Place on iTunes or Stitcher. Take a few moments to give the podcast a rating and a review at iTunes or, most meaningfully, Share it with others who value this level of conversation about these things we love and which connect us. Together, we make a difference. Thank you for listening. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and cultivatingplace.com. The program is made possible in part by the Stanley Smith Horticultural Trust. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Our communications coordinator is Casey Gardner. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.